one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space episode 435 for the week of Monday, November 5th, 2012. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Yep, from very cold and very powerless uh, northwestern New Jersey. How you doing there, Sawyer? I'm doing okay. Thankfully, the storm missed me up here in central New York, but still impacted all the people at home. And uh, thankfully, my family down there mostly has their power back, so and not too much damage. But obviously, there are more people who need the help, and we definitely encourage helping them. Welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Uh, it's good to be here. And at one point, I was concerned for uh, you know the Cape for weather effects of the storm, but it turned out we didn't have really that much to be concerned about, especially in light of how the Northeast fared with Sandy, but um, glad to be here, and uh, let's go. Yes, indeed, which of course, Sandy's still affecting a lot of people, including Gene and everyone around Tim, who's joining us on his iPad tonight, which has been giving us trouble already, but <laughs> we'll hope it'll stick through the entire night, and we hope that you will as well. And, of course, if you wish to help in the United States, you can text Red Cross, one word, R-E-D-C-R-O-S-S, to 90999 to donate $10 to the Red Cross. And of course, visit their website at redcross.org to help. Now, the storm, as it hit the Northeast, caused some damage. And uh, a lot of it was in New York City. And, unfortunately, a piece of space history was included on that. And that is the largest NASA artifact in the Northeast, being the Space Shuttle Enterprise, located aboard the top of the aircraft carrier Intrepid, the museum in New York City. Enterprise was located inside an inflatable dome. Apparently what happened during the storm is that a transformer blew, which caused the power to go out. However, that dome contains two generators, a main generator and a backup. The water level raised up so high that both generators stopped working, and because of that, The entire structure, including all of the metal and exhibits and everything inside, deflated on top of the orbiter. Now, I believe that the orbiter did have a covering on top of it, but it still sustained damage to its vertical stabilizer, or tail. The extent of which, I do not know. But in speaking with the president of the museum, Susan Marinov-Zausner, she put it best. She said, um, it's a tough time, but everyone is safe. And that puts all else in perspective. And they're working to get things back to regular operation soon. And obviously, once people get back to work, we'll be able to figure out exactly what the extent of the damage is and how long it'll take to repair. 
do you know if there are going to be any more plans to to uh, obviously repair it? But is there going to be any plans to possibly harden the exhibit from you know from something like this going forward? Well, here's the thing: is that a lot of it was designed to sustain the winds. The problem is, is that the location of the generators seems to be the problem. Because the actual structure was fine. It was the fact that the generators, which kept it inflated, were destroyed. And because of that, it deflated on top of the orbiter. And I know a lot of people have been saying, and I've been observing this, that, you know, it's terrible. They should have never gotten it. They took horrible care of it. Calm down. How many people would have ever expected a hurricane and the other storm to combine into one giant superstorm? Number one. Number two, no matter where it was in the Northeast, there probably would have been some problems. Thankfully, everything for the most part is okay, and all of the people are okay. Now, does this mean that they will try and get the new, the official exhibit open sooner? I don't know. I don't know what the exact plan is other than to take a look at the damage, to get it back working again, and to fix any major things that need to be fixed. And just to comment in defense of backup power and backup generators, you know, anything can happen. And you don't have the redundancy and the reliability that you do with primary power feeds. And when you go on backup power, it's your backup. And you're hoping that it'll hold together, but it doesn't have the strength that your normal infrastructure power delivery system does. So it's just one of those things. And unfortunately, it happened to an old friend of ours. It'll be fixed. And once again, as always, full disclosure, I am a consultant for the Intrepid Sierra and Space Museum. So this hurts home a lot, especially, you know, since I kind of worked on it. But again, all the people are safe. That's what matters. Now, I don't honestly remember if we were on to cover the fact that the SpaceX's Dragon capsule, the CRS-1 mission, successfully splashed down the Pacific Ocean after completing its first operational mission to resupply the International Space Station. And if that wasn't enough, SpaceX is at it again, except this time, not commercial resupply, but commercial crew. No, they haven't launched people yet, that's still a while away, but they did successfully test their Grasshopper, which is a 10-foot-tall booster of theirs, which lifted off the ground a short distance, and then landed right back down its original spot. The test flight was short and did not go very high, but it's a major step towards their eventual goal, which is for a rocket which will be 100% reusable, in which it will launch up, and then after it completes itself, rather than splashing down in the ocean never to be used again, it will land back down on the launch pad that it launched from to be reused. It's a really ambitious goal, and they still have plenty more testing to do, including eventual supersonic tests from 10,000 feet and above. And still a little bit away, but it's a great start for SpaceX. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm still kind of sort of scratching my head on, on the whole grasshopper concept a little bit. When you have reusability, as we saw with Shuttle, um, you have to go ahead and have a team of individuals to go ahead and maintain that reusability cycle, meaning you have to have an apparatus to go after the boosters and you have to have a team to clean out those boosters and inspect them and make sure they're all okay. I'm wondering, you know, is, is this going to be more over, is this more overhead that SpaceX is going to have to pass on to the client on this or, or, or what? Um, 
I'm I'm still trying to figure out what really really is the is the is the goal for the reusable booster. I'm I'm still trying to figure that one out. If so, if I'll, I'll open that up one that one up to to email and 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 have somebody take me to task on it. But uh, I am really still sort of scratching my head as far as the grasshopper concept. Well, Elon Musk has kind of said it before, and I have a feeling this goes back to cost. He said that you don't throw airplanes away after one use. So why rockets? <laughs> Which I can get, but this is—I mean, this is ambitious. I can understand reusability, like the SRBs with the shuttle, solid rocket boosters. When they were done, go back in the ocean. The segments would be cleaned up, refurbished, and reused. That I get. This is a little different. We're talking entire stages of liquid fuel rockets here. Yeah, I realize that, but I guess it's also to how often you're going to launch them. And I guess SpaceX is anticipating. Um, using this a lot and that's the only way i can really really um understand that perhaps um there might be a logic to it but you would have to i don't know what the what the return on investment would be and and how often you could reuse each one of these segments and and so on so i guess that would be the logic to it but i i'm I'm still wondering how how often you can use them it just seems like there's so much that can go wrong with this. It just seems, is it worth it in terms of cost? Because I, I just see so many red flags here in terms of safety risks that are jumping out at me right now. It's scary. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sawyer, you kind of touched down. At one of the commentary that I, I kind of remember, and I'm going to go back to Star Trek here, one of Mr. Scott's uh, commentary, you know, the more they overthink the plumbing, the easier it is to stop up the drain. But um, the um, you know that's what I'm thinking about every time I, I think about uh, I think about Grasshopper. I'm not and I, I believe me, and I'm not taking anything away from SpaceX. They've done a grand job so far. They've they've done everything that they said they were gonna do. Um, but uh, I'm again, <laughs> I'm going back to square one. I'm still I, I I really need to understand the logic of the Grasshopper. I really do. Okay. We've talked a little bit about the International Space Station tonight. And, of course, the main resupplier to the International Space Station when it started beginning was the Space Shuttle. The Space Shuttle finished its service run in terms of flights in July of 2011 with the landing of STS-135 and the Space Shuttle Atlantis. As time has gone on, the Space Shuttles have slowly been retired. And on November 2nd, 2012, the Space Shuttle program was officially declared over as Space Shuttle Atlantis was rolled over to her new home at the Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex. And our very own Mark Raderman was there covering it. Mark, how about you fill us in on what you saw? Well, it was a, um, a historic day, November 2nd. And it's one that I thoroughly enjoyed, but I'll tell you, it was a long one. Uh, for me, it started with wake up at 4 a.m. out to the press site by shortly after 5 and then the uh, series of, of hops on the on the bus, off the bus, on the bus, off the bus, to the points where we could see the orbiter on the uh, orbiter transportation system, the 76-wheel flatbed vehicle everybody has seen, the world's slowest Ferrari, I think they referred to it. And uh, we got to see it, well, four different, five different times, actually, along the route. Uh, it started at the VAB. And it was dark. The sun was just starting to lighten the sky off to the east. And pardon me while I get all poetic and uh, 
and kind of thinking about things. But, you know, they pushed Atlantis out of the VAB, and there was the orbiter in the darkness with the stars above. And at the end of the day, at the visitor complex, there was Atlantis in the darkness with the stars above. And so I think it was somehow quite fitting that the day started and ended that way. And it's uh, somewhat a footnote for how the orbiter would go around the Earth and go from darkness to daylight back to darkness every 90 minutes. So here we go. I wish I had a good recording from the VAB, but there were two TV trucks nearby with air generators. There was other equipment and noise and just far enough away from a group of employees that I really couldn't get a good recording. I could somewhat hear most of what they were saying, but uh, it was for the employees. It wasn't so much for the public. But there was a, a woman that was speaking kind of to start the employees off with let's let's start this process going and let me play that clip to start with are we ready all right so today is the beginning of the next chapter for atlantis and she's going to take with her the pride the passion and the honor of this team Mark, who was that on the at, at the vehicle assembly building? That voice sounds awfully familiar. Yeah, I didn't get the name, and I couldn't most of the time couldn't tell who was speaking. They were far enough away in the darkness that, you know, a hundred plus people and somebody with a microphone, you couldn't identify who had the microphone most of the time. But let me mention before we go on to describing the rest of the journey, um, Chris Hadfield was there. There were other astronauts that were there. And Chris Hadfield spoke for just a moment, and he said that he had been talking to Bill Harwood from CBS, and that they related being around Atlantis as being like a campfire, where if you sit by a campfire, you just can't take your eyes off of it, and that's how they were seeing Atlantis. You know, with Atlantis in the background, it, it just steals the show. You Your eyes are, are drawn to it. And you watch it even when it's not moving. But uh, started the rollout. The press jumped on the bus and went down to an intersection on State Road 3 where we got there ahead of it. And at this point, it was uh, the sun was up and rising. The orbiter came along State Road 3 in the shadows of the trees to the east of it and slowly came into sight. And again, stopped in front of us. And got many, many pictures. There were also some time-lapse photography and some videos that were shot. I imagine people have seen many of them, and it's quite interesting to, to watch that as well. The next stop after that was in front of the headquarters building there at Cape Kennedy. And they had the official ceremony signing over Atlantis from NASA to Delaware North Corporation that operates the visitor complex. And I've actually got four recordings from that ceremony, and I would like to play them because it's got the first shuttle commander of Atlantis, the first time Atlantis flew. It has the shuttle commander from Atlantis's last flight. 
also the chief operating officer of Delaware North, Bill Moore, and then Bob Cabana, KSC director, and Charlie Bolden. You'll hear the introductions, the MC for that event, and they had a stage set up. There were flags. They had the Titusville High School marching band. They had a honor guard from another school. They had a, a young woman from a middle school that sang the uh, Star Spangled Banner, and it was all quite, uh, it was quite touching. It was, it was a very special moment. The MC of, for this event was Cheryl Hurst, and she is the Kennedy Space Center Director of Education and External Relations. And you would wonder, who would MC something like this? And then really, who better but Director of Education and External Relations, because that's where Atlantis is headed. So here we go with the speakers at the official signing ceremony there in front of NASA headquarters at KSC. I'd like you to welcome Colonel Carol Bob Bobko to the stage. Good morning. It was my honor to be the first commander to, of the Atlantis and my pleasure to be here for the next phase of Atlantis's journey. My first flight was on the Challenger, the first flight of Challenger, and we had to wait while they did flight readiness firing after flight readiness firing to clear the vehicle for flight. My second flight was on Discovery, and on that flight, we had gotten close enough three times that they made patches and then canceled them. And so I have four patches which look almost the same, but not quite. My third flight was the first flight of Atlantis, and it went on time to the second. As a matter of fact, my wife had come to me a, week or, a month or so before and said, you know, I have an opportunity to do a program in Baltimore. And she said, I think it's going to be the day that you guys might be landing. And she didn't know for sure because Atlantis was a, uh, a military mission and they wouldn't tell you exactly what time it took off or even what day it was going to land. So I said, Diane, remember Challenger and all the FRFs. Remember uh, Discovery and all our patches. This is the first flight of Atlantis. You make the call. So she set up to go to Baltimore, and as it turned out, that was the exact time that Atlantis flew and landed. And so she met me at Edwards, gave me a peck on the cheek, and then took off for Los Angeles to go to Baltimore. So we had underestimated the capability of the, the whole system down here to become mature and meet a launch date well ahead of uh, uh, a long time before it was uh, planned. Uh, so for me, Atlantis represents something that re reflects the maturity, the reliability, and the capability of the space program. We had some tragedies afterwards, but for the people down here, I looked to Atlantis and said, this is when they were able to do what they said they were going to do. So it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome the commander, the final commander of Atlantis, STS-135's mission, Captain Chris Ferguson.
Well, thank you, and uh, good morning. And gosh, isn't it just a beautiful morning for an event like this? Um, I am fortunate enough to represent the entire STS-135 crew who came today, uh, Doug Hurley, Rex Walheim, Sandy Magnus. And uh, I thought very quickly, I'd just like to share uh, two stories, uh, very quick stories with you about um, our last day on that vehicle. Um, we had a very busy mission. There were only four of us. Uh, we were running a race to the wall, I called it. But we always knew that at the time, uh, there w might be a moment at the end where we could truly appreciate uh, what, uh, what the nation had built here. And that time came uh, the night before deorbit, the night before the very last deorbit, before the last landing. And uh, our work was done. We had an opportunity to, uh, to stare out the window a little bit. And uh, as uh, Bill Moore was just telling me down here, uh, Atlantis's uh, final configuration in the visitor center will be in a, about a 45 degree left angle of bank. And that's about the attitude we were in. I was in the commander's seat looking out the window and I looked down and we looked around at each other and we thought to ourselves, this is really it. After 30 years of building a space station, deploying countless payloads and uh, changing the world, this is the very last night that a space shuttle will be on orbit, uh, weather in Florida notwithstanding, of course, but as it turned out to be the case. It was really, it was a very poignant moment. Um, you know, personally, I was sad, but in hindsight, it was incredibly, uh, I was incredibly proud to just be a part of it, and I, I'm sure I speak for the entire crew. And the, the other uh, moment came that earlier that day where we had uh, just put away the robotic arm, and we had tried to prepare for most of the, uh, the major events that occurred on that last mission, but I think that between Doug and I, we kind of forgot about this one a little bit. And uh, we put the arm away, I looked at Doug, Doug looked at me, and we thought, what are we gonna say? And we didn't really have anything prepared, and right on cue, uh, the best Capcom in the universe, Megan MacArthur, came up, and she listed every payload that a space shuttle arm had deployed, and every major event and assembly uh, mission that it had been a part of for the International Space Station, and I thought, wow, just what a perfect team. And it was a very, uh, it was a very fitting uh, closure to, uh, to an incredibly successful uh, space shuttle arm program as well. So uh, now Atlantis will continue its life. Um, its life of exploration is complete, and it will go on in what I consider to be just an incredibly fitting facility right over the hill here and its life of exploration will pick up, or its life of uh, education will pick up from this point forward, and I'm sure it will inspire generations of young men and women uh, for decades to come. So thank you very much for allowing us to be a part of this event, and please let us continue. Thanks. And something that Chris Ferguson said there right at the end, I uh, took a minute and tweeted out that Atlantis was transitioning from a life of exploration to a life of education. And uh, can't think of any truer way of saying it, really. Yeah, Mark, neither could I. Um, Atlantis is a, a bird that I'm always going to have a, a personal affinity toward. Um, all three of the, the launches that I was able to witness were were Atlantis. And uh, so I, I probably would have been like a little, little, little kid sobbing over there because... You know, shoot, this was really the end of the, this really marked the end. You know, if you really th think about it, this was it. And, uh, you know, no more. I mean, this thing was actually being, being towed over to its, uh, its sort of, uh, final, final area where it was going to, to, I hope, inspire the next generation. 
of, uh, of, of explorers. So, um, a very poignant, very touching moment. You're absolutely right. And yet, surprisingly, the mood was not as uh, quiet and subdued as you might expect. In fact, outside the VAB, I neglected to mention that. They had music playing. They had a compilation of audio that included some launch audio, landing audio, you know, launch control center goes for launch. Yeah. Um, you know, they had some music that was just, I think, absolutely phenomenal. And the crowd was really, really upbeat. I mean, they were they were talking, you know, like an excited kind of conversation you could hear from a few hundred feet away, this this hundred to hundred plus employees that were there. Um, I saw one employee that reminded me of a group that I saw at Atlantis's uh, final landing. They had on a red and white Hawaiian type shirt. This one man did, and at Atlantis's landing, there was a whole probably ten or so of men and women that uh, were there in their Hawaiian shirts, <laughs> and they held out a um, kind of like a quilt, but it had mission emblems, and you know they they held it out for photographers to catch pictures of them, and uh, so this was uh, this was pretty upbeat. I've got another clip to go ahead and play, so let's continue on. Now please join me in welcoming the Chief Operating Officer of Delaware North Company's Parks and Resorts, the operator of our Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex, Mr. William Moore. I have no idea how these guys feel in space, but uh, this is a... This is an emotional moment for me um, to have this vehicle behind us and thank all of you for all you've done for so many years and decades. We wouldn't have this opportunity if not for all of you. This is truly an historic day for NASA, for the Kennedy Space Center, for the visitor complex, for the first crew that flew her to the last. For everybody that worked on the space shuttle program, and thank you all for being here today. Atlantis stands as a symbol of inspiration for people around the world. It inspired us all in a launch pad. It inspired us in space. And it will inspire us again today as it starts a new journey. Thanks to NASA, the public will experience Atlantis dramatically displayed, elevated, and rotated as though we were flying in space, as Chris Ferguson said, in a new $100 million exhibit just over the way at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. Millions of visitors will come to find the 60 interactive displays about the Space Shuttle program, including its key roles with the International Space Station and with the Hubble Telescope, and how it paved the way for today's new coming manned space programs. With Atlantis, the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex is really the only place in the world to see space-flown artifacts from all four man's uh, space programs, and the rockets that flew those amazing astronauts and crew into space. Humble opinion, but the visitor complex is unquestionably the best place to experience and learn and be inspired about mankind's journey into space. On behalf of Delaware North Companies, I want to thank NASA Administrator Charlie Bolden, Kennedy Space Center Director Bob Cabana, for entrusting us to take care of this magnificent vehicle behind us. 
we are absolutely thrilled to become its stewards. We all look forward to July of 2013. I'm sure most of you will be there. We'll open it up for exhibit and can't wait for you to come see it. Thank you very much. Yeah, Mark, I, I kind of remember um, Andrea Farmer coming on uh, with us uh, at the STS-134 launch, I believe it was, uh, initially, um, to discuss how they were going to display Atlantis. And I remember getting you know, extraordinarily uh, excited about how uh, Atlantis was essentially going to be treated and and uh, what the uh, what the exhibit was going to be like, we kind of uh, at we kind of um, helped get the word out um, of what Delaware North was doing. And uh, I saw some of the photographs of the uh, of the exhibit under construction, and I was quite uh, you know quite excited to see this uh, this facility finally come to life. And I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing how. Uh, how it all really works out because I think this one is going to be one of the the, the more dramatic uh, dramatic displays. Uh, there's only one way to tell: you're going to have to go see all four orbiters. That's true. <laughs> and KSC is phenomenal. I saw the building, walked inside of it, ninety thousand square feet. Wow! It is gigantic. It's going to be. Wow. I can't imagine. I'm hoping, and uh, I'll just give you a, a little teaser for between now and July. I talked to Bill Moore briefly at the end of the day there at the new home for Atlantis and uh, mentioned that we had spoke at Endeavor's launch and that he had been on the show with Andrea Farmer and uh, that I was hoping in the months to come that I could check in periodically and and get an update on how things are going on the construction and getting Atlantis ready. And he said, sure, keep in touch with us. Excellent. Looking forward to keeping those updates. Um, just as an aside, uh, and guys, if, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the U.S. taxpayer probably still owns two of the, two of the, uh, uh, two of the birds at this point. That's Discovery and, um, and Atlantis. We had, I got into a conversation um, during the proceedings on Twitter Correct. about that. And um, uh, NASA only, you know, NASA, who basically really owns the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center, it basically contracts out to Delaware North um, to, uh, uh, you know, to run the place. NASA still retains ownership of Atlantis, correct? Well, um, they, they handed over the deed of Atlantis to the Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex, which, again, technically is still funded by the taxpayer. So essentially the Smithsonian and Discovery at the Smithsonian and Atlantis at the Kennedy Space Center, even though the Smithsonian and the Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex own each of the orbiters now and not NASA, it's still technically government and, you know, the taxpayer funded, essentially. Uh, not entirely, but essentially. Yeah, I, I I could have sworn that that, that 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 was really the arrangement that Delaware North does not really own the orbiter. Um, you know, NASA still retains ownership of the vehicle uh, since it is since it is a NASA you know exhibit and it's run by it and it's really really um, you know a NASA property. So in, in in a sense, the the U.S. taxpayer still owns two of the uh, two of the, the existing four orbiters. Um, 
Endeavor is totally owned, owned by the California Science Center. Of course, Enterprise's pink slip is held by the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum. Right. California Science Center and Intrepid each own theirs, and that's why Atlantis has its official home opening in 2013. Discovery has its official home opened, and why the California Science Center and the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum both currently have temporary exhibits open while they continue to get the funding. Mark, you still have a couple of more goodies for us, don't you? Oh, yeah. And I think if everybody listens carefully, you'll find more than once and more than more than once where the speakers coming up are going to say things that you're just going to want to write down and, and, and keep it because it's, it's spoken so well and said so true. Charlie Bolden makes a statement. He says it's difficult to make a transition, really difficult. So listen for that and listen to where he talks about the business that NASA is in, is creating. And I'll let you fill in the blank when you hear that. Now I'd like to introduce to you our center director, the 10th center director of the Kennedy Space Center, a veteran of four space shuttle missions, center director Bob Cabana. Thanks, Cheryl. Uh, thanks to all of you for coming here today to be a part of this. Uh, I first saw the wings of the space shuttle Atlantis on the floor of Grumman's facility in Bethpage, New York on Long Island when I was a young test pilot in the early 80s. Uh, in 1985, when Bo and his crew were flying Atlantis, I watched closely as a new astronaut candidate seeing what the future might hold for me. And uh, in July last year, I watched with great pride alongside our administrator, Charlie Bolden, as Fergie and his crew brought Atlantis home for the very last time. Uh, it's something that we can all be extremely proud of. Uh, today marks the end of a phenomenal 30-year program for the space shuttle. Uh, it was very sad, but, you know, it's okay this morning when we watched Atlantis roll out of the VAB for the very last time. Because although it's the end of Atlantis flying in space, it's not the end. It's not the end for KSC. We're charging into the future, preparing for commercial operations to low Earth orbit, for exploration once again beyond our home planet, continuing to meet NASA's science missions with our expendable rockets to get our science missions to Mars and further. Uh, and it's not the end for Atlantis, because Atlantis now takes on a mission of inspiration to future generations. When I was five years old, uh, we took a trip to visit my aunt from Minneapolis in Baltimore, Maryland, and I distinctly remember going to the Smithsonian and looking up and seeing the Wright Flyer and the Spirit of St. Louis hanging from the ceiling. And that sparked in me a desire to fly. And I, it is my sincere hope that one day uh, some young boy or girl is going to look at Atlantis and it's going to spark that dream of exploration in space, exploring beyond our home planet and building on all the wonderful things this team has accomplished in the last 30 years and is going to continue to do. So from me to all of you, 
My heartfelt thanks for your dedication, your drive, your hard work, your spirit of discovery that has made all of this possible and continues to make KSC and NASA the great place that it is to work as we charge off into the future. Thank you. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce our administrator, Charlie Bolden, the Honorable Charlie Bolden, okay? Now, a lot of folks would think that's pretty cool, but Charlie, more importantly, is one of the outstanding commanders of Atlantis. Charlie, come on up here. I was telling Chris Ferguson when he sat down, I said, it's not fair. And I was asking him if it was because he's from Philadelphia or what. Uh, you know, I've, I've been with Chris and the crew, um, boy, throughout the final flight and the landing and everything else. And I'm always impressed by, by the four of them and the way that they have carried this. Uh, it's not a burden, but it's, it's, an, it's an awesome responsibility to be the representatives of the space program as the final crew to fly a vehicle in a program. And they have done it incredibly well. And Chris is always so eloquent when he talks. Bob is always so eloquent when he talks. And then I come up here with notes. But I have to because I'm not quite as suave and debonair as are they. I do want to thank the Merritt Island uh, High School Color Guard and the... Uh, the band and others over there, and Sierra, you were awesome. Um, let me tell you, uh, the national anthem is hard. Uh, most professionals who try it really mess it up. You were beautiful today, and, and I thank you so much for, for honoring us by singing that. Um, Bob, thanks very much for the introduction, and thanks for letting me be a part of this program. It's, it's just wonderful to be back here at at KSC and to be with the KSC workforce. Um, and as I look out and as I had an opportunity to talk to a lot of you this morning, because we were out here like 6 o'clock, they were doing a brief and then rolling out at 6.30, um, it's really special to be here with you and with my old friend Atlantis. I notice, I know there's Dave Leitzma. I was trying to, my eyes aren't as good as they used to be, even with my glasses, and I know Dave Leitzma's over there. Uh, and I'm not calling names, but I was looking for my crew members who were with me on Atlantis, and there's somebody back there and all that. But it's great to be here. Um, Dave and I were, we were among the crew and the backups who had the privilege of celebrating the anniversary of, uh, the 20th anniversary of STS-45, which was my single flight on Atlantis. And we were in Brussels, Belgium, and, uh, and Atlantis was the focus of Space Week in Belgium. Uh, I tell you that only because I want you to recognize the significance that the shuttle program has had and will continue to have. And that was not about history. That program was about the future in, in Belgium, in another country, uh, where they, are, they see what we started with shuttle, and they're just hopeful that we won't give up and that we'll continue. Um, Bo, I want to thank you for being here. Chris, I've already said how much I appreciate your being here. Um, I want to let everybody know something. You know, today is a historic day. It's, a, it's an incredibly historic day. But, but I don't preside over an agency that's in the history business. That's not what NASA does. We're not a history organization. We're in the business of creating the future. And we're in the business of taking science fiction and turning it into science fact. 
And I think most of you here realize that. That's what we do. Uh, we take things that people say are impossible and we make them possible. Uh, we dazzle people at the way we do it. Uh, it's always fun to come down here because this is one place in the world where uh, you guys and girls take something, people say it cannot be done, and you just go do it. And the problem with you is you make it look too easy. You know, you just make it look too easy. What we do is not easy. What we do is incredibly difficult. And you should be very proud about what we have done through the incredible 30 years of the shuttle program. It's also difficult to make a transition. Really difficult to make a transition. I, I, you know, Bo was there, I was there. There are some of us who were there between Apollo and shuttle. Or if you want to really get to it, between Apollo Soyuz and shuttle, or between Skylab and shuttle. There was a break. And it was a painful break, particularly for people who had been a part of the Apollo program. There's some people who still don't want to let it go. But, you know, um, that happens. That's life. You have to just sometimes say, okay, we did great things, and now we're on to greater things. This magnificent ship behind me is tangible representation of, of a great nation, our hopes and dreams. We couldn't be where we are, poised for tomorrow's progress, without the space shuttle. And there are more exciting things happening right now here at KSC as well as around the agency. A little over a year after the shuttle retired, just this week, we completed the first commercial resupply mission to the International Space Station. A little company called SpaceX launched Dragon from right over there at Cape Canaveral. It's the first of many such launches and we're well on track to once again launch American astronauts from U.S. soil in the next few years right here from the Kennedy Space Center. I see Mark Sarangelo there. Chris Ferguson now represents Boeing. Uh, you know, these are companies that believe in the future, and they believe they can make that happen. And I think it's, all we can do is trust them the way that we have trusted American industry from the beginning of time. They'll get it done. I'm excited about it. The passion and the dedication of the KSC workforce, all of you out here, you, you allowed us to proudly operate shuttle for an absolutely incredible three decades. That same pride and dedication in today's KSC workforce will send us to new destinations like an asteroid, Mars, once again launching from right here at the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral. With your exceptional support, we'll restore those awe-inspiring moments of human spaceflight for the next generation of explorers. Those students, some of them probably over there in that band, or maybe even Sierra, those students who are studying right now to lead us in exploration of the most, most incredible exploration era ever. It's now NASA's honor to permanently house this magnificent spacecraft right here, where she rose to the skies 33 times carrying 156 men and women. She's truly a testament to American ingenuity, to the dedication and passion of this workforce and of our nation to reach higher than ever and do what has not been done before. The space shuttle program has been a proud achievement for our nation. With 30 years of missions launching satellites like Magellan and Galileo aboard Atlantis, expanding our international partnerships with visits to Mir and flying crew members from around the world, building the International Space Station and demonstrating that America indeed, the world, had a new home and has a new home in low Earth orbit. 
Those of us who flew Atlantis will never forget the experience, as Chris talked about. For those who made that possible here at, the Kennedy, at Kennedy by processing this amazing vehicle time and time again, to those who watched in awe as she launched and maneuvered in space and did incredible things, those memories, the inspiration, that passion is still yours. America still leads the world in exploration, and we're building on the many fine accomplishments of the space shuttle program to take us where we've not gone before, to places where our imagination and our aspiration tells us we can go if we channel the passions that built and launched Atlantis and create a new day. Atlantis's final mission may have closed out the space shuttle program, but the spirit that created that program and built her is very much alive as we develop the technologies and systems, not only for private companies to serve our needs in low Earth orbit, but to, but to keep us on the road to an asteroid, to Mars, and places beyond. I want to thank all the crews here today who flew Atlantis in space. I want to thank the workforce that sent her successfully to orbit again and again. And I also want to thank the American public at large for making this, this incredible dream and achievement possible that we all share today. Our best days are ahead of us, with the shuttle as our tailwind. Godspeed, Atlantis, on your next mission of inspiration and motivation. And now I'd like to ask Bob Cabana, Bo, Chris, Bill, and Cheryl to join me up here on the stage while we do what we came up here to do. And, of course, what they came there to do was to sign the official documents turning Atlantis over to the visitor center. And that's what they did following that. And I really like what Charlie Bolden said there, <laughs> more than more than one of the things that he said, but now we're on to greater things. So taint over. Yeah, Mark, I think that one of the things that, that uh, both uh, uh, Bob Cabana and uh, the folks that, uh, well, you attended that press conference, uh, I guess, uh, earlier that day. And uh, that was really what, at least what I got out of what they were trying to say. Uh, I, I think really what everybody was trying to say is that it isn't over. A lot of people have gone ahead and looked at you know, the shuttles becoming museum pieces um, as basically the end, not only of the shuttle program, but also the end of human spaceflight here in, here in the United States. That is just not simply the case. Yeah, there's going to be, be a hiatus, just as uh, uh, General Bolden mentioned here. Um, and those hiatus, that, that type of hiatus is always painful to go through. Um, we've made the same mistake again, unfortunately. But um, we will get through this, and hopefully we'll get through it with with uh, an array of vehicles that will be doing some great things. Um, we had you know the dragon demonstrating its cargo abilities uh, this past week. Uh, we will be looking at at piloted capabilities, hopefully around the twenty seventeen time frame. Uh, ditto with Sierra Nevada, uh, its dream chaser vehicle, and of course Boeing, the uh, CST one hundred. Piloted spaceflight in the United States is not over. It's it's just regrouping, and of course, let's not forget too the Orion multipurpose crew vehicle that it's uh, I mean its second flight is going to be a circumlunar mission. Uh, 
again, we've got some things to look forward to. It's just they're going to happen you know, extraordinarily slowly due to budget constraints. And uh, uh, but we will have a new dawn coming, I think. I, I think being able to see the vehicles up close now is going to be you know, I, almost like a dream, you know, a realization of the American dream of going into space. Uh, I could say that alone. I was floored seeing Atlantis on the pad at STS-135 and just as floored seeing Enterprise in person. Yeah, sorry, funny, funny you mentioned that. I, I, that is the way I'm go, always going to remember Atlantis. Um, you know, with you know when we were out there, you and I, um, I I've shared this story here before, where where we got there well before the regular press bus, and we had ten minutes, you know, essentially at the pad, just just us, the the NASA, the NASA bus driver, and uh, and a. Uh, BBC film crew, I think it was, and that was really about it. And and that's the way I'm going to remember that bird always. Same, seeing just her take over the entire windshield of the car that we were in. Yeah, exactly. That's an image that that that's Atlantis. Yeah, I mean that that was a moment too that just made my hair you know stand up on on the back of my neck. And I'm hoping, Mark, the that the exhibit that. Delaware North is preparing is going to do the same thing to all the visitors that that walk in there. I expect it'll knock your socks off. This was the official stuff. I mean, this was the suits and the ties and the stage and the TV cameras and the VIP seating and then the areas for the rest of the employees. And I remember Bob Cabana the previous day at a press conference said that he wanted to open this up so that every employee, every person that had worked on it, that had touched a shuttle, family members could all be there. Anyone that wanted to be there, he wanted to make it possible for them to have access to this event. And there was quite a crowd out in front of the headquarters building where these last few uh, clips that we've played took place. And as we record, I'm looking at a picture uh, speaking of speaking of teamwork, since we hear a lot of that from from the folks at NASA, um, I was handling the recorder a good bit of the time, and fortunately had Mary along to help with taking pictures. And I'm looking at a picture that she took of Atlantis in front of the VAB with the the uh, the sky is just just getting to be blue and a little bit of color on the horizon. I think we'll include that in our on our website on our show notes. And, uh, but anyway, like I said, would you like to hear how America or the world could be a better place? If you'd like to hear that, listen in this next, this is a longer segment, but I think it's well worth listening to because I got to say the people that I am most, I, I, I'm most excited about talking to and hearing speak is astronauts. And so here we go with two more astronauts that are going to talk to us. This is from Exploration Park. And, of course, this is Charlie Bolden and Bob Cabana. But they're talking like astronauts. They're not talking so much like the KSC director and like the NASA administrator. And I would like to say that different people that I've, that I've heard speak or just impressions that I have overall – I think Charlie Bolden is is a a very rare example of an administrator of a large government agency that's connected to his people and connected to his work. And I think you'll hear a little bit of that as he speaks. 
We have a lot of excess capacity since we retired the shuttle, and uh, it's a shame to let it go to waste. So we have worked very closely in partnership with the state of Florida, Space Florida. In fact, we're standing in Exploration Park, a uh, partnership with the state of Florida to turn this into a world-class industrial research park with the Space Life Sciences Lab behind Atlantis as the anchor tenant. They're going to start uh, building one of the first buildings here very shortly. Uh, OPF Bay 3, where the orbit was processed, we've turned that over to Space Florida. They've brought Boeing in to work on their commercial crew program there. We're close to an agreement to turn OPF Bays 1 and 2 over to bring more work into the area. Uh, we're looking at having somebody operate the shuttle landing facility for us for a horizontal launch capability. Uh, I think XCOR is interested in launching out of there, taking folks on uh, commercial rides, tourists to uh, lower to uh, suborbital flights. So uh, a lot of different areas, a lot going on out at the launch pads. We're uh, changing the shape of the Kennedy Space Center. Just as we transition from Apollo to shuttle, we're now transitioning from shuttle to the space launch system. Uh, pad 39B, the north pad, it's been totally cleared off. All the shuttle infrastructure is gone. It's got a new state-of-the-art lightning protection system, refurbished propellant distribution systems, digital controls, fiber optics. Uh, we are moving forward into the future. The very first Orion vehicle that you see a mock-up over there is in the ONC High Bay right now, for getting ready for its first flight test less than two years from now on a Delta IV rocket. Anybody here working on Orion right now? Raise your hand if you are. There's one. Anybody else over here that's working Orion? What I'd recommend if you're not, okay, there's one back there. It, try to look around. For those of you who aren't, if, you know, especially if you're not a NASA person, try to find one of these folk and ask them what they're doing. And if you see anybody wearing a NASA badge, uh, you know, talk to them a little bit. Some of them will tell you they're not happy. But, but my, my guess is the majority of them will tell you with some excitement about what they're doing. Uh, anybody here from LSP? Now, I know there's some folk here, here from LSP. Yeah. Yeah. LSP is a launch services program. And, um, you know, the way we've been doing business since I've been around is uh, LSP is an organization. Amanda Miskovich uh, kind of heads it up right now. But whenever anybody wants to fly anything that, they, that we do with NASA, uh, they come to us and we give them to LSP. And, and they talk to them, say, okay, what do you have that you want to fly? And what kind of vehicle do you want to fly it on? And they go off and run with it. They look at the market. They look at what's out there, whether it's an Atlas or a Delta or a SpaceX Falcon or whatever. And they do some evaluation, and then they go back to the customer and say, we recommend that you fly it on this rocket. And then they follow it through to make sure that everything is going to work well. So uh, nobody ever hears about it. But that's the way we do business, and we've been doing it that way for a long time. So if there's something that's left here or Cape Canaveral, and NASA had anything to do with it, and it's on orbit, or it's at the moon, or it's at Jupiter, or wherever else it is. The or on Mars. Or Mars, then LSP's done it. Curiosity's on Mars today because of the work of the folk at LSP. So, you know, I would, I would congratulate them on what they continue to do. Uh, they got a lot of work. They got a lot of work ahead. So yep. if you see somebody that raises their hand that, that says, hey, I'm at LSP, ask them what they do. But you, ought to, you really ought to talk to people here because we're very proud of what we do. Amen. Uh, we, we brag about it all the time. And so I want you to talk to them. Don't listen to me because I'm, I'm from D.C. I'm here to help you, and you know how that is. So. 
We, we are charging into the future, believe me. Going back to uh, Atlantis a little bit, and uh, since we got it here, talking about the shuttle and the phenomenal, amazing 30-year program, if you had to name, I got, I got in my mind what I think, if you had to name one thing that the shuttle gave us, what would you, its contribution? Ooh, um, well, a couple of things. Well, you asked me for one thing. Uh, let me think about the most important it's really hard to think about what the most important is, but I would say uh, shuttle has given us a series of medical science capabilities because we had to take care of crews over longer and longer periods of time. I, I like the sonogram. Uh, how many women are here? I, I have to ask that question, you know, because every once in a while, uh, you know, the guys, long hair and all that kind of stuff. Anyway. <laughs> And I also want to know, anybody have a kid lately or recently? You remember the son, anybody about to have one? You know the sonogram that they, they look at everything? Um, we, you know, we helped develop that because we needed to have a way to look at astronauts' health. Uh, you can't bring them back down here to do it. And, and so we need to be able to look at stuff like the carotid artery or the, the aorta or other kinds of things. And through sonogram, we can have an astronaut today on the International Space Station take one, and they can self-administer. They just do this. The data goes down to the flight docks in Houston or somewhere else, and it says, hey, okay, you're going to be okay. Take one aspirin and call me in the morning or something like that. That's, that's my okay. big example. Uh, all right. What about yours from, uh, all right. from Endeavor or any of the other flights? Now, uh, let's face it. The shuttle did some phenomenal technically challenging things. I mean, the International Space Station, yep. uh, Hubble Space Telescope, it's scientific discoveries, uh, fantastic engineering achievements. But if I had to name one thing that I think that the shuttle brought, it brought diversity to America's space program. If you look at the astronaut corps prior to the shuttle, it was a bunch of white military test pilots yep. and a couple of scientists, yep. white male scientists. Yep. After, look at the first astronaut class, women. Men, women, black, Hispanic, you name it, and, uh, and size diversity. Yeah. You know, uh, from the 5th percentile female to the 95th percentile male, a phenomenal yeah. vehicle. And it, it opened up space to everyone. And I think that uh, that's a really important contribution. Okay, let me, let me look at the kids out here. There's one right there, one future astronaut right here. There are a few back there. Some of you may not, you may be like me. Bob dreamed of being an astronaut. He tells stories all the time about going here and going there, how much he dreamed about going to space. I'm different. I, I did not do that. I grew up in South Carolina, never believed I could, I mean, not even in my wildest imagination was I going to go to space or anything. And I was like a lot of these kids who don't think about it right now. And then I, um, I kind of stumbled into becoming a pilot in the Marine Corps and became a test pilot and did other kinds of stuff. And I, one day, uh, actually at a place called Patuxent River, Maryland, I met an incredible human being, a guy by the name of the late, I call him the late Greek, but Dr. Ron McNair, who, uh, who was on the Challenger crew. And Ron and I had grown up in, in, in South Carolina, in the segregated South, did not know each other. Ron was like Bob. Ron always dreamed of going to space, and he would not accept no for an answer. And uh, he was in the first group of astronauts selected, like Bob said. He, he was an African-American male PhD, not a pilot, not a test pilot, not any of that. And Ron came to Pax River and talked to me, and we talked for a weekend, and when he was getting ready to leave, he said, hey, are you going to apply for the space program? I said, not on your life. And he said, why not? I said, they'd never pick me. And I said it for exactly the reason that Bob said. I had never seen, the, you know, an astronaut of color. Uh, they had always been 
about 5'10 or so, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, maybe, and, uh, but all test pilots, and so I just didn't think there was an opportunity to do that. And Ron looked at me, he said, you know, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. He said, how do you know? What's your name? Tyler, Tyler, this is what he told me. He said, how do you know that you won't be picked if you don't try? That's, that's what he told me. And so what I'll tell you, don't let anybody tell you you cannot do something. None of you, none of the kids here, you got to dream big dreams. I mean, dream really big dreams. Be like Bob was when he was a kid. And then just go satisfy your appetite to fulfill those dreams. I, and I don't mean, give up. Right. You know, I, I never got in. I didn't get to be a pilot, a test pilot, or an astronaut on the first try. If anybody says, how do you get to be an astronaut, Bob, I tell them persistence. Set a goal and don't give up. you got to keep trying. Yeah. yeah, you know, another thing I'll tell you is um, we're going to have something bad happen in the future. You know, it always does. How, how many of you actually worked on shuttle around here and, and were here for Challenger or for Columbia? Uh, those were dark days. I mean, really, really dark days. But as I tell everybody all the time, we do really exciting stuff, but it's dangerous. And, and it is the kind of stuff that, that allows a great nation to be great. And the kinds of stuff that SpaceX is doing now, that Orbital is doing, that Boeing's doing, that Sierra Nevada is doing, uh, it's hard. You know, we, we've gotten it, as I tell people all the time, the folk down here at Kennedy make it look easy. It is not easy to, to leave the planet. It's really hard to do that. And so we're going to have some dark days. But when we do, the, what I plead with you all is don't, don't devote, don't, you know, leave us. Uh, we'll recover because we're incredibly resilient. But um, we cannot be afraid of failure. Cannot be afraid of failure. We do big things. That's what, that's what we do. All right, I got another question for you. Uh-oh. When I was uh, chief of the astronaut office, I always used to tell first-time flyers, time on orbit, it's really expensive, it's really busy, but at some point in a mission, stick your nose up to the window and make a memory. Don't take a picture of it, because what you see is so much better than any photograph you look at when you get back on the ground. So share a memory from one of your missions. I'm going to ask you the same, but mine's very easy, and I carry a picture around all the time, and I show it to kids. And it's an image. Um, on my second flight, we deployed the Hubble Space Telescope. And so it's the highest that an orbiter has ever been in a circular, that anything's been in a circular orbit of Earth without going to the moon. And we were at 600 kilometers, 400 nautical miles. And after we deployed Hubble, we were in the window one day, and I looked out, and, and we had a big IMAX camera with us. And, and we had it running, and it took this incredible image of the Middle East. And uh, looking down at Eastern Africa with the Nile River and Egypt and Saudi Arabia and all that stuff. And it looks so absolutely breathtaking and beautiful. And as a military guy, I paused for a second. I said, you know, there's some ugly stuff going on down there. Uh, I, I know what it's really like down there, but it doesn't look like that. It looks so incredibly beautiful. What are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong that, that we can't make it be that way? So, I, again, a lesson I learned then and, a, and something I would appeal to you all to talk to your kids about is we can do better. You know, what is it that we're doing wrong? Figure that out and fix it. We can do that. And that's, that's the gift that I have been, I've been blessed with that, to be, in, be a part of the space program, you know, because I think we make a difference every day. I tell people who work for NASA, uh, and I hope everybody believes me. I don't have a... I've been a NASA administrator for a little bit more than three years now. I can look at my calendar when I wake up in the morning and I say, this is going to be a bad day. 
you know, I've got to go to the Hill, i got to go to the White House, i got to go do something. This is going to be a bad day. At the end of every single day, for the more than three years I've been the NASA administrator, I go home and I said, this was really a good day. You know, because it, it may, we may not win everything. I'm a 50-50 guy, and the glass is always half full for me. But um, we make a difference in the world. We really do. And that's, what I am, that's why I'm so proud to be working as a member of the NASA team and the NASA family. And, and I hope everybody who's out here wearing a NASA badge feels the same way. You know I tell you that all the time. But you've got to share it with your friends. You've got to share it with your communities and everything else. Now, question to you. Well, What's I, your most vivid memory and why? You know, I have, uh, I have one from each flight. But I, I think the last flight was probably one of the most special. I mean, being able to uh, go inside the space station for the first time. And one of the questions that I got asked was, well, who's going to be the first one in the space station? I wouldn't tell any of the media. I never told anybody. I didn't even tell my crew. And when it came time to open the hatch, uh, Sergei Krikalov was a Russian crewmate that flew with me. And Sergey ended up being on the first uh, space station crew with uh, Bill Shepard and Yuri Gutsenko to actually live on it. But uh, when it came time to go in, I opened the door and I pulled Sergey up and I put my arm out and we entered side by side. And uh, it, that was pretty special. But that's not the memory I want to share. So, <laughs> Special, end, just don't want to talk about at, it. At the, at the end of that mission, you know, having done all that, uh, we, there was a big high-pressure system over the central U.S., one a cloud in the sky. We came up over the Baja Peninsula, and it was in December in the winter, clear, cool air, and we flew right over Minneapolis-St. Paul, Minnesota, where I grew up, and I could see the family farm area up in northern Minnesota, and we went up into Canada, and, and I looked down on the United States, and I could see from west of Chicago to Long Island all the Great Lakes outlined by the lights of the cities, like you're looking on a map. And I thought, how special that was. You know, and it just, uh, it, it's truly amazing. And, it, you know, you can never, no picture can capture that. It's just, it's a memory that you'll always treasure. I, I tell you, it's, um, I tell people all the time, I, I personally am just incredibly blessed. I, um, to have an opportunity to work with the folk that I work with every day at NASA, um, to have been allowed to serve in the United States Marine Corps, which Bob and I share. We're both Marines, and, um, and you know, we, we cherish that. We're still Marines. Uh, and our sons are Marines. And our sons are Marines. And, in fact, uh, we could talk. We could really start talking about stuff now because they've actually flown together before. So how, how special is that? Um, but I just, I, I, they're probably going to give us the hook here soon. But, but again, I just wanted to, I, I really want to explain express my gratitude to all of you because everything that he and I have been able to do uh, we were able to do because you let us do that you know you paid taxes and taxes paid for that and taxes pay for everything we do here at the Kennedy Space Center or all over the world actually because NASA is an international organization we're an iconic organization uh, you know whenever we go somewhere and we say we're from NASA or people see my NASA pin uh, they want to talk about it. And, and, and that's you. Whether you work for us or not, that's you. Because you're an American taxpayer. And you should be proud because you have something that is currently roaming around the surface of Mars and bringing incredible images back every single day. And may one day help us determine whether or not life ever existed there or whether it can exist there. But that's you. 
you know, as a taxpayer, that's you. We couldn't do any of that without you. So trust me, you're getting your money's worth. I hope you believe that. Uh, we're trying to give you your money's worth. So that, that'll be my close, and I'll let Bob close us out. You know, uh, Charlie would be the first one to tell you, we work for you. And if you look at our space program, astronauts get a lot of visibility, but we are such a small part of the space program. Uh, in fact, astronauts don't even fly in space all that often. Most of what we do is support other space shuttle missions or end up wearing a coat and tie to work in management. But, uh, you know, we are part of a tremendous team. And what makes life so much fun, I mean, I love coming to work every day to be part of this team, to know that we are making a difference in, in not just our nation but in the world. And... Uh, how many people can come to work every day and say they made a difference? And, and we're doing that. And it's because of this incredible team. And I, I feel extremely privileged to be here at the Kennedy Space Center during this time in the center's life, in this transition. Uh, I don't think there's a more important time in our history as we lay the groundwork for the future, for commercial operations in low Earth orbit and exploration again behind our home planet. It's critical to our nation. Uh, we have to be successful. And uh, I know we're going to be successful. And the reason I know we are, it's because of the tremendous people that we have working here at NASA. There are none better anywhere in the world. It's the finest workforce anywhere, and this is absolutely the best place to work. Thank you all for your attention today and for your support. Ladies and gentlemen, Senate Director Bob Cabana and NASA Administrator Charlie Bolden. That was a fun little play back and forth with them and answering the questions. And I, I liked how, um, in traditional Charlie Bolden style, bringing the kids into it and, you know, pointing out to sound like he was talking to a couple of them in the audience and things like that. And, you know, that that's the next generation. So I, I thought that was great. And again, the backdrop for this was Shuttle Atlantis, a couple hundred feet away, sitting on the transporter out in the middle of Exploration Park with hundreds of people milling about, taking pictures, having their picture taken with the orbiter in the background. Um, there was uh, mock-ups and, uh, and demo articles of the different capsules. Uh, they really did a great job. It was, uh, it, it was <laughs> I'll tell you what, as being there as press, it's like, gee whiz, I wish I was just here as a regular person. I would love to spend the full three hours seeing everything that they had to see there. And, uh, you know, that didn't even touch what was at the visitor complex where they had a lot of special exhibits there. So the visitor complex did a great job in, in making this something that was well worth the cost of admission on this special day. And I'm sure they'll continue with some great things. But uh, like you said, now we're on to greater things. So, Mark, thank you so much once again for going out and getting those amazing clips for us. And can't wait to see her when she opens in summer of 2013. Again, Mark, thanks a bunch. This was this was a lot of fun tonight. Thanks. Yeah, I, I, I knew it was going to be good. I'm glad I went down there. I had no idea how great it was going to be. And I haven't even mentioned the two press briefings that I was at the day before. And I probably won't. So <laughs> as, as good as some of that was, uh, Atlanta <laughs> yeah, stole was the show. All right. And with that, that brings this episode to its conclusion. I'd like to thank everybody who joined us here tonight. Thank you even for joining us in the dark, Gene McCulka. Yeah, thank you, and uh, a huge thank you. There's a whole bunch of people I, I kind of wish I had time for, but you know who you are um, that had sent a lot of uh, emails that I just you know only recently read, 
and uh, you know direct messages on Twitter, just asking how I was and how we were dealing with uh, with the storm here in New Jersey. Um, again, uh, my profound thank yous for uh, for to those who are looking out for me and out for uh, for my family and looking out for people here in New Jersey. And my heart goes out to everybody that was deep affected by this thing along the jersey shore and in, in new york they were you know you know i i i'm just dealing with some inconveniences there are people out here with with no homes and and worse so um again thanks everybody i appreciate it and thank you as well for joining us mark ratterman and getting those awesome clips thanks it's been a lot of fun come back next week you never know what we'll have then <laughs> exactly, which last week we took our break because of the storm and its effects on us personally and the website and a bunch of other factors. But we will be back next week if all goes according to plan, and we hope that you will be back as well. But until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are. 